Martha. Lindsay, this week we are talking about the environment, the classroom environment. And uh, Lindsay, this is something we always talk about, struggle with, love to spitball about. We're always just trying to like rethink, reimagine and... Yeah, my, my favorite is when we at the beginning of the year just literally take everything out of our classroom, re-envision, and then when the kids come in, we do it again based on how they're using the room. Yes, exactly. Lots of observation. And um, I think we just really want to be able to make the environment um, the best it can be so that we can, you know, use it to the best of its ability, which is quite a bit of ability. After talking to our our guest today, who is lovely, why don't you give her her little intro, Lindsay? Our guest this week is the author of Working in the Reggio Way and More Working in the Reggio Way. So she has two books um, on Reggio-inspired like learning, and she focuses a lot on environment. And uh, her name is Julianne Worm. Julianne Worm has actually taught in Reggio classrooms in Reggio Emilia, which is awesome. It was awesome talking to her. And her <laughs> book, Working in the Reggio Way, I mean, I know that we both have been given or come across this book like many, many times. It's very, like, as Julianne says in the interview, it's taken its place, um, like a nice, it's solidified its place um, in the literature that teachers are given. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. She outlines a lot about um, the environment and how it's used in Reggio schools. And that's why we wanted her for today's episode. Um, These days... Julianne is actually working in biotech, but still in education within the biotech realm. Uh, She still does do some consulting with educators and within the education field. And we will have links to all of that information on our blog um, for after the episode. And we just hope you enjoy. Here is our interview with Julianne Worm. Julianne. Hi, Julianne. It's Lindsay and Martha. Hey, Lindsay and Martha. What's happening? Hi, nothing. How are you? I'm good. I'm going to put headphones in, so give me one sec, just because I have three dogs who are recording. Let me tell you, um, your book I was given in college, well, I was told to purchase in college, (laughs) and then for like a course, and then um, through JUF, I was in a fellowship, like a teaching fellowship, and they gave it to us all in that too, and I'm not sure, Lindsay, how did you come across it? And then I got the book when we started like our change, we had like a whole like, you know, curriculum or like, you know, shift in general with our Uh teaching in our school. Um, and so we had a um, consultant that we were working with, and our consultant at one point recommended it to our department head, and she got it for us. Oh, that's so amazing. I mean, it's—I will say it's—it's it's a trip. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just like you know, and we'll can talk about that. Like it's like I—I—I I, I, yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's true. Yeah, it's like you know, well, and it's funny because in my job now, it's totally different. People have no idea I have this whole other secret life. And, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so it's kind of like, I'm like, no, I can't have a meeting today. I'm going to go record a podcast. They're like, well, what? I'm like, oh, I some research I did a while ago. Like, whatever. Yeah, anyway. so, wait, are you, cool. are you working for the biotech company full time? And then also you do like educational stuff on the side? Well, I work for the biotech company full time and my, and I'm in learning and development. Got right. <laughs> well, actually, I'd love to actually ask you, um, so like, how did you get um, interested in working in Reggio and schools? 
yeah, like the schools in general, or did you first hear about the way they were doing things, and then, like, how did that all happen? So, let me tell you, I would love to be so, like, oh, I was so smart and driven, but in reality... I was chasing a guy. I traveled. Yeah. (laughs) We love that. I was, no, I traveled. I, after my second master's degree, I had to take like this big exam. It's called, and I don't even remember the name of it, but you had to take this giant exam. So I went to Greece for the summer to study. I'm doing air quotes. Um, (laughs) And I brought like, it's funny because this is like 1990 eight or seven and I brought like a suitcase with full of books like how happy with that like who did that <laughs> and um and then I met this guy on the plane Elvio and um we traveled all around Greece totally fell in love and then I went back with him he lived in Florence and I went oh, with him wow. to Florence for like six weeks and he's the one so this is even before the Newsweek article came out oh yeah um yeah, so he's the one that told me about these famous schools in Reggio that were, and they weren't even like famous in the way that we know them to be famous because that was like 1999. That, uh-huh. that article. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, I'm incorrect. That article came out in 1991. So yes, they were already in the Newsweek article. I'm, I I got my I conflated my years. Okay. So. I went, so I moved back to New York and I sold all my belongings and I was, so I was moving to Italy to be with Elvio and I was like 28 years old. And the thing is that my kind of excuse as to how I was going to justify this after having spent all this time in school and stuff was that I was going to study these schools, right? He lived in Florence. Reggio is a little under three hours from Florence. He and I broke up. But I still went. I was like, well, I already said I'm going. I might as well do it. So yes, I moved. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, And so I'll always be grateful to LVO because, you know, there's certain things in life that you, where you pivot. And I pivoted. And it was been, and that, that was a hard pivot. And I I moved to, I went to Reggio that summer. I checked it out. I found myself a job and an apartment in one day, which is like unheard of. So <laughs> it's kind of like everything just fell into place, you know? And I was like, okay, so this must be what I'm supposed to do. So then I just moved to Reggio. It's a tiny town. I didn't speak any Italian. And I spent that year like just networking my way into the town, became friends with the mayor. Wow. Italian. It's that, that's how small it is. That's, that's not so saying cool. anything about me. That's just saying it's a really, really small. But I will say, you know, it was a formative um, life experience. It changed the trajectory of my life professionally and otherwise. It's one of the smartest things I've ever done. And it was a huge risk, right? Yeah. A huge, huge risk with giant, giant payoffs. Huge payoffs. It sounds so, like it. That's amazing. Yeah. So how long did you end up staying there and what was the nature of like what you did at the schools? So I lived in Reggio for three years and I, the first year I taught English as a second language and I, you couldn't work in the schools if you didn't speak Italian fluently. So I, I spent my first year doing that. The second year, by then I had new people, I had gotten permission and I started in the schools in September and you know, I was, um, I think the thing that was nice for them is I had, was already like a, a teacher who has been teaching for more than five years because I started when I was 23. So I had classroom experience, right? Yeah. And so I did, I, I took notes, they gave me things to read. And then but just as I built relationships with the teachers and the kids, I was just like an extra set of hands. You know what I mean? Like I got in, I did stuff, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, um, 
they did a lot of modeling and I did a lot of, of, of observing, but I had like really, really strong relationships with the kids. Towards the spring, I started leading my own projects. It was very challenging. It looked really simple, mm-hmm. um, but they gave me a lot of latitude to take notes, follow them, um, and ask a lot of questions. I mean, really, really like I could do, you know, and sometimes they would say, so I can remember um, getting as Halloween was approaching and I was in with the five-year-old, five, they were going to be six that year. They were saying, they said, and it was Antonia and she said, oh, hey, do you want to um, like teach the kids about Halloween? And here, like as an American teacher, I'm thinking like, oh, we could do like a crafts project. I'm yeah. like even ashamed that I'm telling you guys. <laughs> and, uh, but that's where, you know, that's what I yeah. do. And then I pitched that they were, you know, they didn't make any scowly faces, but I, you know, now in hindsight, I know I love it. I pitched it. (laughs) And they, and then Antonia, who was like a master teacher, master, master. I mean, her questioning her everything. And she was like, why don't you just get a pumpkin and bring it in and just tell us the story of Halloween. So I went and a friend of a friend had this, what in Italian you call fruta verdura, like a, a fruit of vegetable stand. So uh-huh. I went to him and he got me like this huge pumpkin, so big. And I brought that in and I was telling, and I didn't know the story of Halloween, you know, All Hallows Eve and All Saints Day and the whole um, story. Yeah. I, I So I learned it and I told the kids. And then they wanted to know about scary music like that's where the conversation evolved and then that became the project and even as that was happening at that time I was like unaware it's only in hindsight you know that I was like wow you know so so it was um so so they just had me I was literally the the more time I spent there the more uh freedom they gave me and responsibility Mm -hmm. but I was like you know an intern I was unpaid you Mm -hmm. know I was like um I didn't yeah I mean, yeah. I was just, I was, well, but I, I loved it. And I loved, the, I loved the staff. The people I worked with were amazing. I, I, I just want to say funnily, funnily, last week in the, I talked to a group of teachers from Colorado and they said, how has this changed the trajectory of your professional career? And what I would say is I, my whole humanity and intellectualism has been changed by Reggio. Like I'm, the way I approach my life, my projects, my, I iterate, there's just, there's so many deep and fundamental changes to my brain, literally. Mm. And the, and the way I create, like even right now I'm sitting in my office at home. I bought this house about a year and a half ago and the back was a laundry room. So it's not a laundry room anymore. It's my office. It gets morning sun. So I come out here at five 30 or six. It's gorgeous, big windows. Mm. And I'm just, I'm just literally working through my mom's going to come over this week and help me install this metallic wallpaper on one wall. So this is an environment like adjusting the furniture, finding the flow, all that. It still is a living, breathing thing. Do you know what I mean? In my life. And these are all lessons that I learned in Reggio. Yeah. I I feel like that's why when I heard about Reggio and we started learning about Reggio inspired and project based, it really like clicked for me because I mean, our classroom before this was <laughs> just bright and loud and, like, not something I'd want to be in. And then, like, when we started thinking about, like, what do you, like, what do you think about children? What, what do you value? What do you, like, what, you know, like, how are co- kids competent and changing your whole idea of how children are, how they learn. And then, like, would you want to learn in that environment? <laughs> you can see that when you're in an environment where all the rooms, every square inch of the walls is covered and it's yeah. loud and it's, it's, it, that is what success looks like, right? 
and it makes the kids hyper. So that that's the other thing is yeah. the direct correlation between, and you guys can think about it too, right? What are the rooms in your house that you find relaxing? The work, the mm-hmm. ones that you're productive in, where you do your, you know, I get a lot of good um, thinking done. I have a treadmill in my garage. Actually, my downstairs at my house is an atelier. So I paint, wow. I sew, I exercise, there's a TV, stereo, all this stuff in this huge open space. And that it's like my atelier. It's where all my good stuff happens. You know, it's like if it has cement floor and part dirt, like whatever. But it's where all my kind of good thinking happens. And um, but I feel like it's creating that space that's conducive to not inspiration, but to, to action, right? And also to reflection and. There's things about the environment that directly influence behavior. So calming, like if we don't go into baby rooms where the walls are totally lit up, right? No, lordy, right? I mean, just if you go into an early childhood classroom, it's like you almost feel like you want to be cross-eyed. You're like, oh, it's so busy. Yes. It's also just, I also think that some of my favorite spaces have just felt like home but they also are places where I they're you know definitely inviting like inquiry and making and materials yeah making me feel like I want to think and and I'm inspired to work and I feel active but they're not necessarily like the most like primary color and like you're like the prefabricated signs and and things like that so I think for me the most beautiful is like where it feels like you could kick off your shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So I feel like that's like a good place for like teachers to think about starting though, right? Like it's not just about like your materials and things in your classroom, but you have to think about the whole scope of it. How do you create that welcoming feeling? Yeah. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is it's, it's, I feel like, you know, so, so I've, I've taught tons of people in the U.S. and been to like every state, and you know, I did I did just rego for years and years, and it's not enough. The environment is an amazing place to start because it's very concrete right. and it's very it's tangible, right? And documentation and questioning those are a little bit more challenging, right. but putting in, um, you know, like wood or re getting a. Um, Getting a grant to buy all new IKEA furniture isn't necessarily the best route because it has to be thoughtful. So it's like, great, right. you have this money in the bank. Now let your kids come and leave the walls blank and figure out with them, like, what are we going to do with this space? Yes. Yeah, right? so like have the children help you, you're saying. Like, yeah. And like, in creating well, your space. Well, and also the, one of the things about Reggio, which I really loved, was all of the spaces could be redefined. So if you came into a classroom, so for instance, you come into my house now and the, the couch used to be over there. Like I can reorg it to meet depending on the season or if I integrate a new piece in or I'm doing more reading so I want the natural light. That Those concepts are all things I learned in Red Joe because when, when there's like the house play area, that's like a three-quarter length wall that adults can see over and that can be moved and become a bank drive-up window or a car drive-through so the spaces are not predefined in a way in a in a totally rigid way so i I feel like you know what i mean sorry to interrupt but i feel like i start out every year with Lindsay, and 
we're always like, this is the this area, and this is the, in a way that we're, like, planning on changing them up, but the, yeah, but we always take out everything, but then we put things back, and we probably still think, like, kitchen, yeah. here, but now it looks different. <laughs> right, like, we're willing to change what goes into the kitchen. If the kids are into this, put that in the kitchen area, you know what I mean? Like, we're changing in that way, but... I love the idea that yeah. no area of the room needs to stay that area of the room. Right. You're just kind of Nothing observing is what works for you and your kids. The thing is, like, depending on what the kids are doing, so it's great. You start the year, you want to have house play. And there are right. also things like a library and books and a soft play. Like, that should, that's great. Like, you put that there. If the kids aren't using it, you say, okay, what else can we do with the space, right? Right. Yeah. Like, why waste it? But but you have to put out some things. You can't just be on day one, right. like, hey, we don't have anything. The kids would <laughs> right. lose, lose their minds. And the parents would be like, I don't want my kids in this room. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. These, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's also having, so saying, looking at how are the kids trafficking that area? What kind of play is happening? And so, so for instance, also when I, in the four-year-old classroom in Reggio, they had this, it was, um, it was a, a half, it was like a half circle. So a, a semi-circle, but it was like three and a half feet tall, right? And inside it were hooks on the curved side. Mm-hmm. And that's where they hung like dress-up clothes. And against the wall behind it was a mirror. But you could push it closed because it was, you know, like against a flat wall. You could just push it. There was no house. There was no dress-up for a time because it was closed. I see. And do you see what I mean? So there's this, I think the thing is it's a matter of having kind of, um, it's, it's the same as like cooking. There are some base ingredients, right? So it's like olive oil and garlic and carrot and onion. Like those are the building blocks. And so you want to have the building blocks, but you can build tons of stuff with it. I love that. Yeah. It's like you got your, your main ingredients, your household items that you need to have on hand, but they're can, they can be used for lots of different recipes. Totally. And the kids could, so that was the thing is this little, like, um, it was a house play thing. It was like a three-sided square that came up to maybe like an adult, maybe just under your shoulder. So we could look over it, right? And maybe that's just me because I'm not that tall. But, <laughs> and it had a little window. So on the inside, you could put all the kitchen stuff. And then on one side of it, on the outside, were racks for books. So no matter where you put it, you could have a library. Like it, it by virtue of one of the walls, it created a library on the other side. So all you had to do was fill that with books and, you know, whatever furniture. So whatever you moved this, the library moved too. But it had a little window. And then the window became, as I said, a bank one time. So then you change out. It's like then we're doing office tools on the inside. Um, and we're a bank. And another time it's a restaurant. All right, we're, we're going to change out. We're going to add some tables on the inside. And that's the drive through lane. So I think there's conversations with kids. And there's that's also where observation and reflection comes in. Watching and listening to them. What is happening there? And it might even be, you know, then there's the notion of could it just be a provocation? So uh, right. uh, something we're we were discussing the other day was it's also really fun to have the parents come in in the evening and like let them set up the environment let them leave provocations for the kids because the kids will lose their minds when they get there the next day they have no idea who did what but they all think the cool stuff their mom and dad that's did. so fun so, yeah fun. so so that's the thing that i they did that in rego and i and one of my like, colleagues was talking about often. it as well you know it's like if you're having a parent education night then let them 
reorg some areas of the classroom and then they get to tell the kids about the fact they did it and then when the kids come in the next day it's just this kind of great participation um dialogue back and forth that's a super fun thing and also you get to keep seeing the reactions right you just keep iterating yes that's an awesome uh way to get families involved can I just pivot a little bit to yep. when we do introduce these new spaces? Like, mm, how yes. are we, like, in in your time in Reggio, what were you seeing um, when a new space was being, like, um, unveiled for the first time? Well, so, so what I would say is suddenly the kids were having all these little birthday parties. I have no idea why, but, <laughs> you know, the four-year-olds were celebrating all these birthday parties, these fake cakes and singing. <laughs> and so that somehow, which was like the dress-up nook, became something else, but by virtue of their make-believe play. Totally. So that was, you know what I mean? So that was something we noticed, and then we could enhance by putting implements in there, by providing things, you know what I mean? But not even, and often, it's not even something we talked about. You just do it, and you see what the kids do with it. So sometimes it's not even a, like, you know, um, Discussion. articulated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not, you know, you're just seeing it happen. But I, I feel like there always can be dialogue. You could do it as a provocation, right, and say, hey, you know, what do we think of this? Or you could say, I'm noticing that you guys are playing this way in this space you know what else might we do to make it xyz or what would you think about if we considered this um and so it's it's just a matter of kind of introducing it and seeing what they say and then seeing where it goes i think what you're saying about adding things in after observation is something we always strive for and we always want to do i think that when so when the beginning of the year when the year starts we kind of have covered up our things that we feel might need more explanation and like modeling yeah more modeling and things like that and we'll end up covering things with literal sheets which i feel like does not add to the environment right i'm sure lindsay agrees um but that's like kind of what we have and so i like the idea of maybe almost just like editing and finding another place for a lot of objects maybe Until out of the room you can bring it out and, and only bringing them in when you're observing that there's yes. a space for them within the children's interests i like that too rather than hiding and covering yeah you just bring in material that's right and i know storage is an issue right so yeah. that, that's the, so so we can acknowledge that right off the bat yeah. i know storage is an issue however um i was touring a school I mean this had to be like 2002 or three maybe and they had these racks up high and that's where all the good books were and it's like well why like why are the why are the books up there and it's like oh well the kids will rip the pages yeah yeah that's what happens you got to teach them not to like yeah you know what I mean so so that kind of principle and I can hear what you're saying the the modeling and everything but you know what yeah don't have it in the room because that's just like asking for because it also communicates things that I don't think you guys probably believe about the kids that you're not ready for this you can't handle this you know what I mean so it's like just keep it at home in your garage or wherever put it in your car in the trunk I don't know but and then if there are like a small group of kids that are ready for it bring it in and like model to that small group but have it accessible um, but I guess we could talk a little bit about 
your thoughts on the distance learning and the virtual environment and how you think that the environment has played a role when we're not in a classroom. Do you have any thoughts on that? The thing is, everybody's working from home, husbands and wives, right? And then the kids are there. And especially, you know, I mean, anyone who has children who are probably under seven or eight, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. And, and what is that? What it is, is the kids want to be entertained and they don't, like this is exactly what it is. They're not able to manage their own interests and mm-hmm. parents, excuse me, are not able to let go enough to tolerate the unknown, tolerate yeah. the quiet, the loud, mm-hmm. the mess, all that stuff. This is that spot right there. So this colleague of mine was saying, cause she just had her second baby and she actually should have come back to work in March. And literally that was the week we got to stay at home order. Right. right. So, She's been home, and now she has this 26-month-old and this infant. And she was saying, oh, my gosh, you know, my daughter just needs so much attention. And and so I was kind of saying, hey, well, um, um, have you thought about maybe it might be kind of fun if, like, you set up a desk next to yours, and then you both go to work right? That's the mm-hmm. environment. There's a room where that's taking place now. I mean, cause, and, and she starts to mimic what you're doing, but she has stuff to work also. And, and so we kind of started talking about this cause she goes, yeah, but you know, we'll find something we like in five minutes later. And I said, yeah, but those are activities. I mean, I can't get into the super deep stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's right. totally out of context for her if I'm trying to explain this, but what I will say is I was trying to help her understand you need to set up an environment like just like you have a space where you go to do your work and then at the end of the day you're not there you might want to do that for your child too right there's a place where we do our our playing our thinking whatever it is and that may be in a room you're in or it may be another area but you know you, you sitting down with a watercolor or something for five minutes isn't going to hold a young child's attention because they need you there for that. What about starting to adapt things so she can parallel with you? Uh, anyway, so, yeah. so yes, right. And that's my best advice to parents is the stuff that's working for you is also going to work for your kids, right? right? You right. need a separate space. It needs to be well lit. It needs to be like, they're just all those things that are going to be conducive to getting work done. Well lit, good airflow, good temperature, get right there with your child too. And then when, when it's time for dinner, probably we're done with that space for today. Yeah. And then I think also just like enlisting your kids to help you in certain things, like with preparing dinner and just like letting them play and that's okay. Like it's okay to not have them like structured all day. With activities. Yeah. With activities because like at school we don't, that we have a lot of time for play and that's, you know, where they're learning best. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so the thing is, like, if you're if you're raising your kid and you're in these times where you're at home, okay, so we want to get, we're going to get up, you know, 6.37 probably, I'm imagining, and then have breakfast, whatever. Then at a certain point, we're going to go to work and they're going to go to school. So then it might even be worth it to mock the drop-off, right? Okay, this is your area. This yeah. is mine. Even if they're in the same big room and they know these are the different activities they're doing and We'll have a check-in. I mean, even showing them on a clock at what number. We'll have a check-in here. There's so many ways to structure it, and this kind of leads into the organization of time and space. What works really well for kids is replicability. They need to know what comes next. They don't have to have a clock attached to it, but they just need to know that after I eat, I get to lay down. After I lay down, I have a snack. After I have a snack, my mom picks me up. And, And 
when we're working at home, the kids are like, when is this ending? Right. So if there's like a predictable pattern, you know, then that makes a lot of sense. Yes. I mean, I guess to close, um, is there anything that you think is just like the piece of information or just a really important takeaway that you want teachers to kind of get from this about the environment? One of the things the Italians have historically done well is this incredible attention to design and beauty, right? Mm -hmm. They like beautiful things, clothes, cars, Mm -hmm. art, um, and that's reflected in their schools. And so when we think about the environment for little kids, if we view them as competent and capable and also deserving, right, then that's what we should be gearing our spaces for towards them as well that they should be lovely create like a really kind of healthy serene vibe that can be changed right and adapted because even when sorry when I was in Reggio they we would test out like what was it like to hear a book on a cold rainy day when it was dark out versus in on a sunny day outside so all those different environmental changes influence the experience and there's no way to actually quantify how important that is so um keeping your room clean and and just you know attended to is super important in in how inviting and welcome the kids feel and also how they're going to behave your room looks bad and there's garbage the kids are going to act that way too I, yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think that's amazing. Hey. Yes. I think the environment, like, I, I like how you said vibe because yeah. I feel like this vibe over things. This episode has a vibe, like you have a vibe, and it's. <laughs> I feel like it's of like deep thinking about children's spaces, your own spaces, and how that translates to the lives we live. Yeah, I love yep. that. Well, thank you so much for yes. talking with us. This we have amazing tidbits. I can already tell they're going <laughs> to sound really good. Okay, listen, you ladies have okay. an awesome thank weekend. You. It was such a pleasure talking thank with you. you. Don't you ever too. hesitate to reach out if you need anything, and I'll send you some more stuff. Awesome, same to you. Okay. Thank so you so much. Bye, ladies. Bye, Julianne. Bye. So that's our show. If you would like to learn more about Julianne and the work that she does, you can actually check out her website, which is juliannworm.com. That's Julianne, J-U-L-I-A-N-N-E, worm, W-U-R-M.com. Or you can head to our blog, thereflectiveteacherpodcast.com, for information on what we talked about today with Julianne and links to resources we mentioned as well. You can also follow us on Instagram at thereflectiveteacherpodcast. Thanks for listening.